calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to my vagina! <laughs> I'm Jessie Karen, and this is Rebecca Frank, and here we are again having our current historical, hysterical, and infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina-having organisms. All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. Just kidding, fools. It's definitely researched. Should we say happy pride? Oh, yeah. Happy pride. Happy pride, everyone. Happy pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. <laughs> um, two things that I wanted to tell you. One happened last night and one was a really nice review in person. Oh, shit. That okay. made me tear up a little bit because you told me and I was like, ah! I was like, you have no idea what that means to me. Um, should I start with the review first? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. wait. Is the other thing like bad? Let's end on a good note. It's not bad. It's funny, but also stupid. Let's I think end. we should end on that. Actually. Let's end on stupid. I think Great. we should end on stupid. <laughs> so we got a really awesome review. I was bartending the other day and uh, Rocco, who I work with, is our biggest uh, street team promoter, to be honest. And we'll always be like, hey, have you heard about her podcast? <laughs> um, and he leaned over to one of our, our two of our regulars who are parents. And he was like, this is what it's called. And he was showing them the Instagram. And she was like, oh, my God. She was like, I'm so excited to show this to my daughter. And I screamed in her face because I was like, and she was like, oh, my God. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, the fact that you want to show my like sex education videos to your daughter mm -hmm. that's like nine, ten years old was like. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I I blushed. So we're, we're doing we're doing the work because yeah. that that was like the ultimate he was oh, showing her like the wet vagina video yeah. and I was like the fact that you want to show that to people is so awesome. Yay. So I'm really excited about One that. One day it'll be mandated as part of sex education that we'll watch you go, <laughs> <laughs> you like sliding down the hallway at a slip and slide. <laughs> Second thing. Stupid. I did something really stupid yesterday <laughs> that nobody should do. I have the diva cup. So I had that in and I was working you know, when you have that like floodgate open and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And I looked at the girl next to me, thankfully, and was <laughs> like, I, I like kind of put my hands over my crotch and was like, I got to go to the bathroom right now. I'm having an emergency. And and I also really liked the onesie that I was wearing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't want to bleed on your onesie. Yeah. So I was like, fuck, fuck. So I like ran to the bathroom and without thinking and everyone should wash their hands before you take the diva cup out. And I like, oh, no, I didn't really think about it like an idiot because I was like I just wanted to get it out yeah so I ran into the bathroom and I pulled it out and put it back in and then went and washed my hands and as I was washing my hands I was like why does my vagina burn 
And then it just progressively got more and more and more like hot. Jalapeno cocktails. Jalapeno cocktails. (gasps) No. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the rest of my shift. And I was just like, and honestly, the whole time I was just like, you fucking idiot. Uh, (laughs) Always wash your hands. (laughs) Fire crotch and you're not even a redhead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm better than this. I swear. I run a... (laughs) We run a sex education thing and I'm like, right. But listen, sometimes when you got to go, you got to go. Yeah. Listen, it, the onesie was at risk. I saved the onesie. You saved the onesie. We're back. So you burned your vag. What you going to do? <laughs> Keep your hands clean. Keep your hands clean. Today we are interviewing Rebecca Story, CEO of Bloomy. Just to let you know, it was a Skype call, so if you hear a few hiccups or it sounds a little weird to you, it's probably because of that. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Can you tell us about Bloomy and all about your toxic-free intimate care and hygiene products and all that good stuff? Yes. So Bloomy is um, a marketplace and it's actually the first one that focuses not only on intimate care products, so like feminine washes, all the period products, sexual wellness products, but it's also clean. So we put a lot of effort into the brands and the products that we're choosing. Mm -hmm. So everything is toxic free, um, been vetted by our team. So there's a lot of work behind each product. Um, So I had listened to an interview. This is Rebecca, by the way. Hi. (laughs) I like your name. <laughs> Thanks. I like yours. <laughs> um, I listened to this interview that you did with uh, Courtney Real of the Real Capitalist. Uh-huh. Um, and you had mentioned that uh, 98% of intimate care products that are on the market have at least one toxic ingredient. And I was wondering, I have a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, the first part, could you just define for our listeners what you mean when you say intimate care products, just so we can be on the same page going forward? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second part uh, was, I'm curious about uh, kind of like the the FDA. My understanding is that is that a lot of products that women use are not regulated by the FDA. And I was wondering if that understanding is correct. And if you see the possibility of FDA regulation as a way to change the chemical makeup of a lot of products geared towards women, that would then make your job easier, I would think. So great question. So I'll start by defining intimate care. And I like doing this because this space is evolving a lot. And we don't just say feminine hygiene products now. Um, It's not a very inclusive term to start with, but also it's not just about hygiene. It's about our periods and it's about sexual wellness. So the category is intimate care. So that includes everything that I mentioned. So if you still reference a feminine wash or a wipe, um, tampons, pads, period underwear, um, lubricants, all of those are classified as an intimate care product. Um, And then your second question about FDA regulation. So you are correct. Um, FDA um, has very lax regulation when it comes to these products. And it's, there's a lot of information behind this. So In this industry, there's two main categories. There's cosmetic products, which are all pretty much the lubricants that are external. So like moisturizers, again, the feminine washes, the wipes, those are all classified as cosmetics, Mm -hmm. which is crazy because then we're talking about the same regulation that a lipstick has, a feminine wash has. Um, And then the second category are medical devices, which sound very medical-y. 
um, medical devices or anything that are that is used internally. So that includes tampons and lubricants, things like that. Hmm. And, and vibrators, right? And so that's the thing. So vibrators usually are not classified as medical devices. Oh. Um, I know. It's like they're the exception to the rule because they're more for pleasure. Right. Which is crazy. Um, so there's, there's a lot of inconsistencies just in like the way that the government has sort of created these categories. Right. But then also, yes, it's, it's not a space that's very heavily regulated and there's a lot of reasons for that, but it makes it pretty, um, pretty crazy because then you're talking about ingredients that can be included in the products to make the shelf life longer or to make them smell good. And that's where we got to the 98% being toxic because mm-hmm. majority of the products on the market right now, they do have at least one toxic ingredient. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading this article and it said that some uh, vibrators are used as like therapeutic massagers. So everything yeah. else pretty much avoids the FDA's gaze. Um, but I was wondering like who is supposed to regulate these things? Like is it the um, Consumer Product Safety Commission? And like if nobody's doing it, how how do you guys keep your products clean? Yeah, so there's a cosmetic act that actually regulates, like it sort of regulates, meaning <laughs> it has like these really broad, crazy guidelines that say um, like you can't have a poisonous substance or mm-hmm. it has to be made in a sanitary um area like things that are so vague and it's kind of bizarre the way that that we're following those rules and not questioning more Mm -hmm. when it comes to the medical devices the fda so the food the federal drug administration the food and drug administration sorry (laughs) (laughs) that regulate it um meaning that you have to apply the product has to be made in a certain type of facility you have to apply for clearance so then the FDA then has the ability to look at your product and do sometimes it's called post-market surveillance mm-hmm. where they can do um, like they can ask you to send them research or send them data if there's any question about the safety. But all of that really it's, doesn't mean anything because our it's aftermarket complaints. Really bad, yeah, really bad regulation when it comes to everything else. Mm-hmm. It's not even strict. So I don't know if that makes sense, but basically we have a, a system that's categorizing them into these cosmetic things and these medical device things, but at the same time, there's a big gap in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The CPSC only does the aftermarket, like if there's enough people complaining or going to the hospital, at that point, it's kind of too late. It's crazy. And we're the only country that I can think of right now that has like a first world country that has such poor regulation when it comes to these products. Mm-hmm. If you look at most of the European Union, they have, they ban like a thousand, over a thousand ingredients. Mm-hmm. We only ban about 30 in the country. Um, so there's a huge gap. And I think part of your question was also, um, sh- who should be creating these standards? Yeah. And we obviously can't wait for the government to make change and make them safer for us. Yeah. So that's really part of our mission is to make sure that people can just shop and be worry-free on our platform so that they know that we've done the homework. It's a team of experts. We've done the research. Um, so it's really like the brands and like us, the consumers that need to do the homework. Right. That's so scary. It is scary, (laughs) especially, I mean, just thinking about the way that regulation works and how under-regulated the beef is, for example. Now I'm like pissing off the beef lobby, but like... (laughs) 
<laughs> dangerous game I'm playing here. <laughs> so then I guess my next question would be, because there's such a small number or percentage of products that that pass muster for your site, I'm curious about um, if you have plans to sort of tackle accessibility and affordability of products and mm-hmm. what your long-term goals might be in regards to that. I know that not everything can happen at once, um, mm-hmm. but I imagine that you would have the goal of making sure that these products would be affordable and accessible to as many people as possible. Yes, definitely. Um, so I know that there's sort of this like general, um, I don't want to say it's a stereotype, but this general vision that we see where organic and the cleaner products tend to be pricier, tend to be more expensive. Um, that's true for the most part. Um, but I will say that it's changing. Usually when you're talking about cleaner ingredients and materials, they are more expensive. And so it can be a little bit more of an investment to start to make that switch to clean. But one of the tips that we give a lot of our visitors who come check us out on the blog where we have a lot of like our how-to guides and we show people how to use the products is um, make the switch slowly. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. That you basically take the one product that you feel like you use the most today, whether that's tampons or feminine wipes, and switch that to something clean. And that will decrease your exposure to toxic ingredients. So let's switch with what we have now. That's kind of, we have a lot of tips on the site. Mm-hmm. But in general, we are looking for brands that have better price points for people because we realize that it's something that we want to make accessible to as many people as possible. And we often do donations of a lot of the products that we have. So we're working on it. Um, but it's it's a matter of making sure that the brands that we work with are also being conscious of that and really working with their labs to make sure that they bring down those costs. Yeah, right. it's, it's funny too, because as you're speaking, I just, it's also like women are the primary consumers of most of these products and cosmetics and personal care products. And, you know, uh, I know there's sex toys for both, but we're internal, so. <laughs> yeah, and even even thinking about the categorization, I was thinking when you said that like tampons are, are categorized as a medical device, and I kind of think about, you know, how that might, just kind of in the way my brain works, how that might then support the way that we treat uh, pregnant women and menstrual pain as being um, a medical issue as opposed to just like a natural process and how these sort of languages bleed over into different areas um, and impact the way our policy works. Oh my gosh, totally. There's a lot of work to be done just in the way that we call, like the terminology basically is... It's very medicalized, so it's very Western, mm-hmm. and it's not very inclusive of different types of bodies, but I feel like the industry as a whole is starting to wake up to to that, to the fact that there is more inclusive like ways to talk about sex and talk about our periods. So it's a wave, and it's coming, and I'm happy to see it coming, but I wish it was here a little sooner. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> and a little more. Yeah. yeah. Not to take a step back, but I was curious if you could tell us how and why you founded your company. Okay, so it's it's interesting because you know how one of the guiding principles to starting a company is you have to have a pain point. And for me, um, what happened was I ended up being really frustrated with not being able to find healthy products. And the reason I was trying to find these healthier alternatives was because I ended up getting a lot of infections from the products that were on the market. Mm. And I'm just super sensitive, like with everything. Um, My skin is sensitive, my mind is sensitive, everything is just like I have to be conscious about what I'm putting on and in my body. 
And I got tired of it because there was a period of time where I was traveling nonstop for a couple of years. And even if I tried to bring my own products, like I, it was a combination of the products I brought and the hotel soaps. And it was a constant cycle of irritation and pH imbalance. It was really annoying. Mm -hmm. And, um, I dove really, really deep into understanding like what the heck is going on and what are these ingredients and what's happening when my mom got sick. My mom was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer and I just, I wanted to like clean up. I wanted to be more toxic free in general, just for our lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And that's when the pain point came where I was like, what the heck? I can't find these things easily. Yeah. And there, I know that there's bad ingredients in them. So where are the clean alternatives? And that's when... I started, you know, without realizing, started building the Bloomy because I was finding these products from different countries mm -hmm. to show my mom and, and other women that I love. And then I realized, okay, there's something here because people wanted more and more product. Yeah, like, and you were noticing that there, that in the way that everything that our country works, a lot of times we just continue on with the things that we already have uh, the mechanism to create quickly and cheaply. And it takes somebody to to like really open their eyes and figure out that there is a demand for this. Um, yeah. And whether or not people are aware that they are demanding it there. I mean, it's our skin is so porous. Mm -hmm. It just it blows my mind how um, like fragrant most of the items right now are. Like mm -hmm. if you look at just feminine washes, mm -hmm. I'm Latina. So I grew up where in my family and in our culture, like fragrance is a positive thing. Yeah. And so, I would seek out, you know, washes that had very fragrant, sometimes colorful options, um, not knowing that those were the worst for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, yeah, it's pretty crazy how the market currently is. It's it's basically made for big brands or big, large companies that um, want their products to last a long time on the shelf mm -hmm. and want it to be catchy and smell good. And so that equals lots of extra unnecessary ingredients. Yeah. And you couple that with this narrative that we have that specifically for women that, you know, our genitalia needs to be cleansed and needs to smell nice. And you have a recipe for disaster. Yeah. When we're, when we're taught, you know, growing up that smelling like a flower can be a positive thing. That's not good because our vulva is very sensitive. And, and to your point, it's very porous. It absorbs, um, everything very quickly into the bloodstream. So within seconds, anything you put on your vulva or vagina, it'll be in your blood, traces of it. And so we need to be really careful what we're putting on it. And I don't think we talk enough about this. I certainly didn't hear about this when I was growing up. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Nope. I was watching one of your interviews and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about uh, fundraising as a woman of color. I was reading a Forbes article on how the average amount of money that women of color are able to raise is just $36,000 compared to $1.5 million for the average white male. <laughs> and yeah. of the 15,000 women women in general who have secured in excess of $1 million, just 16 are women of color. That was, I think, in 2016, which is that's wild. Wild. It is insane. Um, and another stat for you that we I hear a lot still is that out of the all the VC money that's currently out there going to companies, less than 1%. So 0.2% goes to Latina founders right mm. now. Um, <laughs> that's crazy to me because yeah. I, so I can tell you a little bit about what I have done with fundraising and like what it has been like. Mm -hmm. So I 
did do a small initial round of fundraising um, about a year ago. And they did that so that I could sort of prove concept and make sure that the marketplace was something that was viable and that um, I could see scaling. And so I did that. And I'd love to say that it was just a friends and family round, but for a lot of a lot of founders like me who are underrepresented in many ways, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color. I don't have that network that I can just tap into or wealthy family members that I can just tap into like some other founders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, are you talking about the white average white male? <laughs> yes, I am because it, it's very frustrating that um, a few people are starting to catch on to this, but just even the term friends and family is very biased, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I did do a small round that was very difficult. Um, I tapped into different angel networks and angel investors. And for about a year, I was just um, prepping for fundraising, meaning I was getting the business ready, making sure that it was scaling and um, then trying to step away to do fundraising. So I did that. I was able to close a small round and I'm currently getting ready to raise my real pre-seed round. Um, and that'll be like, that's kind of the one that's that people reference because anytime you're raising close to a million dollars, like then the eyes are on you and everybody's like, can she do it? Is she scaling enough? And like all the pressure is on and I just, I don't like it. I hate fundraising, but it's just, I have to be good at it, you know? Yeah. So you can do it. You can do it. I was raising my arms in the air while you were (laughs) We believe. Um, Sort of a follow-up is because we've actually been running into a a similar problem to one that I've seen that you have mentioned before. Um, And uh, the difficulty of getting funding when you do, when you are raising money for what you're raising money for. Mm -hmm. And that people tend to not want to do business with people who are talking openly about things that are normally considered taboo in society. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw you mention that you have been having a hard time advertising through the platforms that you would like to use given where people's attention are right now looking at I'm looking at you Instagram because we've been having that problem as well uh, and Mm -hmm. what your experiences have been and if you have any sort of like workarounds just asking for a friend (laughs) yeah yeah okay so the the whole notion that sexual wellness is banned on the internet it's banned in advertising and it's it's a very taboo topic still in fundraising like that still to me is very crazy because I wish we were at a point where sexual wellness was just part of our wellness and I'm trying to push that as a brand and as a company but we have a lot of conversations to still have about this so when it comes to um, what you were asking about specifically yes social media tends to bend the advertising for sexual wellness brands. And that's very skewed because if you look at the advertising for like male sexual health versus female sexual health, it's not a Mm one-to-one. And I see a lot of ads for, you know, hymns and Viagra that are very um, suggestive. (laughs) But anytime we mention the word pleasure or we mention like, you know, even women and pleasure together is just forget it. Yeah. Witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's going to change one day, but it's just something that I think most brands at this point just deal with. And we don't depend on social media advertising to grow our, our companies. Mm-hmm. And it, it is kind of a challenge because most companies can do that and they can leverage traditional channels, but we can't. 
Mm-hmm. And the positive side of that is we get to be creative and we get to have very authentic growth and very authentic fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're definitely uh, having that experience. Strong will survive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I read your Forbes article um, about how several investors said that they would invest in you if you removed the sexual wellness category. So. Oh, my God. This that oh, so, that was so frustrating to me because I had one investor in particular that I wouldn't be raising a second round right now if I would have taken this investor on. Yeah. But to me, yeah. it was so it was it was a it was a moment where I was like, this is kind of like a moment of truth. Like, what it what do I believe in? Mm-hmm. And literally, like he was ready to write a check, and it was just tough for me knowing that I was going to say no, but I knew that ultimately I wouldn't feel good doing that because we're trying to make it so that you know these products are accessible to people. And the, the part that pissed me off is I had just shared the story of how I was. Um, I was motivated to include lubricants into the store yeah. when mm-hmm. I first started with sexual wellness because my mom and other women that I met that were going through her chemo journey, they ha- had a lot of atrophy. So they had a lot of dryness and that was something that was helpful for them, especially if they wanted to enjoy sex or enjoy pleasure again, or just not feel the pain that sometimes you do feel with certain chemo. And then he still proceeded to tell me that I needed to remove it from the website even though there is clear medical reason, it doesn't have to be medical, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it yeah. was a moment for me where I was like, okay, this is going to be tougher than what I want it to be, but yeah, I have but to do the right thing for me. But you're a badass. That's, yeah. inc- that's, it's hard to turn down funding, but you're right. Everything that you just said made me like tear up. Cause like people don't think about that. Yeah. And just the fact that like, you have to figure out like now is when we, is when you decide who you're going to be as a company, you know, and, yeah. and making sure that, that the seed money that you take allows you to to follow your vision and because your vision is super important Mm -hmm. yeah and you know what you end up getting at the end of the day and this is what is kind of like transforming for me I have this group of women that whether they're advisors or investors at this point angel investors they're pretty badass they are very progressive (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to say they're all women of color but they're all women Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's just they are incredibly supportive and they do refer me to other people that I should talk to. It's just it's more work because it's a smaller subset of people that that I am looking for. I, I actually just wanted to have like a little note of a make sure a make sure to say um, that I I've noticed through a lot of the interviews and things that I read and listened to that you made a point of talking about that specific network and the fact that you make time to help other women and I, and specifically women of color, um, achieve goals in business and things like that. And I, and it's, it's just super important. I just think like, this is how we all, this is how we all, um, can succeed is by helping bring each other up at different points in our careers. And I, and I just wanted to commend you because you've clearly been doing that and it's really, it's really heartening and fantastic. Well, thank you. And you know, it's tough to find the free time. Like I know you guys do a lot to continue relationships with the people that you work with. And like, it's tough to find time to build those relationships. But what I have found is those are sometimes the most valuable ones because I still learn when I 
I'll just say mentor someone or it's, it's more like people who are one step ahead. I see them as my mentor, right? Because I just want to get to that next step. And the people who are like one step behind me, maybe they're getting ready to fundraise or whatever the case, like I was there not too long ago. So it just feels good because I would love for that to be reciprocated to me. Yeah. Um, Feel free to not answer this if you don't want to, but how do you feel about goop? (laughs) (laughs) I'll answer it. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> okay. So I think, okay. So from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. she is killing it. Right. Okay. Right. She, her business is huge. She has a lot of events that I could see our brand sort of also wanting to do not in the same way, but she has these retreats. She has, um, brick and mortar stores. So things that I feel are valuable, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, I feel like she gets a lot of heat because of the way that she has said things. And I think that that could have been avoided had she had team members that were educated in the space and could use like certain terminology and like use credible sources, things like that. So I, I do feel bad at times for all the heat that she was getting about Yoni eggs, for example, because. Mm-hmm. I'm a Yoni egg supporter. Mm-hmm. I just think you have to be very careful about how you position it. And the education behind it, you can't just say, you know, put a rock in your vagina. You have right. to say it with like all of the options and being very good about like the, you know, the practice of cleaning it and all of that as well. So at the end of the day, I appreciate what she's building. Mm-hmm. I do think that there needs to be more accessibility and more inclusivity in what she's trying to accomplish because. Yeah. I probably will not pay a thousand dollars for a wellness retreat. And I also um, don't see a lot of diversity in, in her immediate team and her influencers and things like that. So different, you know, so there's value in it, but at the same time, there's things that don't resonate with me as a, as a woman of color in this space. Right. Yeah. I mean, specifically, I, I was kind of just to your point of how expensive of the price point, I just kind of like went on Goop because I was kind of just trying to um, just see what else uh, kind of existed in in maybe a, a market that overlaps slightly. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw a pair of pants for like over a thousand dollars. And I was like, what is this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they have some very this? expensive items. I can tell you that if you look at very expensive items, the margins on that make your business very viable. So it's, it's a good business thing to have, but when you are a, I'll say average American consumer, like those are not accessible or they're like extreme splurge gifts, right? You can buy like one every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I was just curious if you could expand upon your involvement with clinical trials for sexual arousal and desire and how important it is for women to self-pleasure. Yeah, both, both go together, but I'll answer like kind of the first one. So Um, My background is in research, specifically sexual wellness research, and I get a lot of questions about what that means. And again, Mm -hmm. I think I'm just so used to this space, I forget that it's kind of nice to hear what that actually means for some folks. Yeah. So in grad school, I studied um, female sexual arousal and um, sexual satisfaction. And what that meant is I was studying products at some point. I was studying, you know, the the, what do we call it? The efficacy of certain products in raising someone's arousal. 
and if that actually was happening or if it was a placebo effect. So there was a lot of fun work that I was doing with actual tangible products. But then a lot of the other work that I was doing um, with some of my, um, not coworkers, oh my gosh, classmates, (laughs) (laughs) was um, like measuring arousal with different like biofeedback. So that was really cool. So yes, you can have anything from like a person who is stimulating themselves in a lab and like watching, you know, like different measures, biofeedback measures to see how it's changing in their body, their arousal levels. But you should also just give somebody a questionnaire and say, hey, I want you to try this. Here are the instructions that I want you to follow. And I want you to take this questionnaire with feedback for us. Yeah. It's fun because there's different ways to gather sexuality research. Um, But the day the the method that spoke the most to me was doing it in a very um like in a clinical way not not like studying a person in a lab but in a way where it it involved thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. so that we can have great data and that we can actually create products that met like the needs of larger groups of people yeah and so for me one of my funnest jobs after grad school was working for um, a company. The product actually got acquired already, but it came out of an incubator. So an incubator for people don't who don't know is it's basically like the place where the ideas are brought and you can test them there to see if they're a viable business. Mm-hmm. So I worked at an incubator for a couple of years and out of there spun a sexual wellness product. And it was called, it's called Fiera. It's on the market. It was one of the funnest um, projects that I had after because I got to study project in different different versions and making sure that the the cohorts that I was studying that we did qualitative and quantitative data. Mm-hmm. So I was talking one on one, but I was also getting the numbers. That was fun for me. Awesome. Such a nerd. I know. I feel like such a nerd when I explain it. <laughs> no, I'm, you should see me. I'm like eyes wide open. This is some like Kinsey shit. <laughs> <laughs> that movie definitely reminds me of school. Yeah. <laughs> It's, a, it's definitely important to like put a scientific eye to things that people think of as like, you know, frivolous and unimportant and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. How are so. people making the stuff that gets yeah. you off? Yeah. I also just wanted to, not even a question, but mostly for our listeners just to draw attention. You have a really awesome uh, like blog section mm. on mm-hmm. your site that offers like a lot of really cool information. How did you find your bloggers? So the blog is... Um, I started doing the blog myself because I wrote for different sexual wellness brands before and I, I find it really fun. Mm-hmm. And to grow that more, I used, I used a few friends from grad school mm-hmm. and also have people that pitch to us sometimes and usually they're really well versed in this space and so it's a matter of just working with them once they're interested to write a blog for us. Awesome. Well, that's great. All of our listeners should go read it. There's a lot of really, really... Uh, useful stuff in there yeah and can you just plug all of your websites and instagrams and tweets twitters tweeters <laughs> <laughs> yep so um people can find us at the bloomy.com and the blog is linked from there the blog is called intimate talk but you can get it from the bloomy also and all of our handles are the same it's all at the bloomy and we encourage people to sign up for our newsletter because we put a lot of goodies a lot of really well thought out information and a lot of the products so oh oh looks like i'm joining up for that newsletter (laughs) right and it's it's everyone's the bloomy b-l-o-o-m-i yes yeah the bloomy.com thank you so much for coming on it was so great talking to you 
It was great to be here. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. Awesome. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. So you work at Bloomingdale's, huh? My mom calls it Bloomies. <laughs> soldier all right we're gonna end on some cool or weird sex facts just for funsies yeah yeah it's been a while since a little sex education yeah why don't they just combine that sex education yeah i don't know we can start now we're almost famous we're about to change the lexicon true story well did you know that you can orgasm in your sleep I did because it happened to me the other day. Oh, did it? <laughs> it did. Wow. And I, in my dream, hilariously enough, was masturbating, not having sex with anybody or like having some fantasy dream. I was masturbating and I woke up and I was humping my covers. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I one time had a sex dream on the bus. Nice. And I'm not really sure whether I made noise or not. Oh. Might have. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> No one filled me in, so it's a mystery for the ages. Might be a hard thing to tell somebody who is just asleep, possibly moaning. I was sitting next to my friend, so (laughs) I would have told you. Our friendship has never been the same. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Did you know, according to this Vice article my friend Lee sent me, that smoking weed might be drying up your vagina? (gasps) Oh, I knew that about Coke because we read that in Don't Put That in Your Vagina. That's right. We sure as shit did. also kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Weed dries up your vagina. That sucks. Apparently. So, oh, go ahead. No, I was also going to say because apparently I was skimming an article the other day that said that weed actually helps women orgasm better. Really? Which kind of makes sense to me because it kind of chills out your nerves. Right. Yeah, so. that's what this girl is saying is that she, uh, st- she would smoke before sex sometimes because it would help with um, her anxiety mm-hmm. but then she read this book moody bitches the truth about the drugs you're taking the sleep you're missing the sex you're not having what's really making you crazy by dr julie holland uh and she learned that a possible side effect of smoking marijuana can be a dry vagina oh yeah well that's why we have lube cotton vagina cotton vagina <laughs> yeah there's apparently a thing on urban dictionary about <laughs> cotton vagina so Anyway, yeah, listen to our lube episode yeah, on yeah. how to counteract it. That's fine. Yeah. Calm your brain, lube your veg. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Tagline. The female orgasm lasts three times longer than the male orgasm. Ha! Ha! Suckers. Suckers. <laughs> Fuck nuts. Finally something we get. Right? Post-sex sadness is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, very common. Yeah. Post-coital dysphoria. I could see that. Yeah. It happens sometimes. Sometimes you just... Sometimes Get it's all in your so feels. good and then it's not after. Yeah. <laughs> or it's so good and then it's over. Yeah, that's and that's kind of like, fuck. <laughs> and back here again. <laughs> back to reality. Um, the clitoris is basically a tiny penis. I talk about that in a clitoris episode on YouTube. Yeah. Check out YouTube. Yeah. Um, so this explains like a lot about me. A strong sense of smell makes you more orgasmic. Guess yeah. who can't smell shit? <laughs> this girl. <laughs> No sense of smell. <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> oh, I keep learning so much about myself on this podcast. <laughs> and so can you. <laughs> you ready? Yes. We can uh, just do it. All right. Thank you for listening to Welcome to My Vagina. It's time for us to slide on out of here. It never gets less gross. <laughs> Make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Oh my God, please rate and review us. Please. It really helps. It helps so much. Do we sound desperate yet? Because we are. A little bit. A little bit desperate. If you love us, then you'll write about us. You can also check us out on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. On Twitter at Welcome to My Vag. 
uh, at YouTube, you can just type in Welcome to My Vagina. And send us an email at welcometomyvagina.com. We also have an email. If you want to email us questions, we're totally down to answer them at welcometomyvagina.com. Uh, I'm going to not correct my myself. Just, you know, you get it. Vagina. Check out all of Rebecca's musings at franklyrebecca.com. And make sure to check out all of the other awesome content at More Banana. Yeah. Thanks, Caitlin. She's our producer. Okay, thanks. Bye. See you next Tuesday.